0: That was the moment I was waiting for, because I knew that birth was gonna be hard. I knew there was gonna be a lot of work, and I kept feeling like that moment when your baby's finally out, and they're on your chest, and you see what you worked for, that's the moment when you're like, okay, I'm a mom, and I missed it.
1: Hello, and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths, and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Good morning, Healing Trauma Mamas listeners. Well, today on the podcast, I get to have a special guest, Hannah. Hannah, do you mind
0: introducing yourself? Yeah so uh, my name is Hannah and I live in uh, the Sierra Nevadas of California with my husband and our two kids. Um, We manage a Christian camp and so we live on site and we do pretty much everything for the camp. I'm the bookkeeper and the um, office admin and the wood chopper and (laughs) host and so We do that together as a family. And then um, I'm also a professional watercolor artist. So I do markets and shows and some of my work online. My son, Jack, is three and a half years old. And um, my daughter, Rose, is one and a half.
1: Oh, wow. Sounds like you're doing it all. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Busy, busy, huh?
0: Yes. We are prayerful about our schedule. So we don't have a lot of extras in our life. We only. Want to do the things that really bring us joy and fulfillment, so we don't feel too busy, but it it is a lot, a lot of wheels moving. So
1: it sounds like it, but that's a great way to do it. So where it's fulfilling but not overwhelming. Yes, um, that's wonderful. So I'd love to discuss. You've got two little ones. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to share a little bit about how those came to be?
0: Yeah. So. When I think back on our story to parenthood, it's a little bit, um, it's all over the place. Um, when we, we first got married, we were living in Oregon, where we're from. And about a year into that, into our marriage, we decided to move to um, Bass Lake, California, which is a little bit south of where we live now. And we were helping with an outdoor backpacking ministry. And so we planned to not have kids for about five years and we wanted to just really pour into that ministry work on their social media and their marketing and help guide backpacking trips and so our, our plan the best laid plans um were to um live in a 12 by 12 uh office and make about 500 dollars a month and we figured that would be fine because it was just us and our dog and then two months into that, we found out we were having Jack, hmm. and so we realized that that was not the best environment for raising a child, and we um, decided we want to stay with that ministry, but we needed to find a house and a little bit more sustainable income, mm-hmm. so that was our plan. Um, my my experience was with birth was pretty limited, but I'd always been very interested in it, and so I did what any millennial would do. And I looked for a podcast yes. <laughs> and I, um, yeah, I found um, the birth hour and loved that and oh, started a just great podcast. Yes. It was really eye opening of all the different options for birth mm-hmm. and um, all the different ways that someone could go about that. And so I found myself really being drawn to midwives and the stories where um women had either done a birth center or a home birth. And um I really wanted a home birth, but we were still trying to find a place to live. And so didn't think that living in an office without like running water nearby would be a good place to have a baby.
1: So Yeah, I think you're probably right about that.
0: Yes. So we're like way out in the woods and far eh. from the hospital. And so yeah, so um, we decided to go with a birth center that was about two hours away from us, because we were an hour from a hospital. And so I figured if I'm going to travel anyway, I might as well go to a place where I would be the most comfortable. And so we drove um, for all our appointments and ultimately for our birth to a birth center in Sonora. And the moment we met the midwives, we loved them. They were so warm and welcoming and the birth center itself has this like hippie smell Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like the oils and the herbs or what but it's just like feels like home to me because my mom is a nutrition therapist and so um yeah they just were so warm and welcoming my first appointment with them was like three hours long they just answered all my questions and um, made me feel like I could be heard and um yeah so we decided to go with them and our prenatal care was excellent it was um I just kept like listening to the podcasts and reading all the anime's books and um like I feel like all the home birth crunchy mamas are like anime business of being born all these different resources are all the same because Mm -hmm. they just really resonate so yeah so um by the time we got to 33 we we did our we had to do an extra scan after the 20 week scan because they thought they saw an abnormality so we went back at 33 weeks and they did a um uh, an ultrasound and they like the the environment of the room shifted all of a sudden
1: hmm.
0: like oh what's going on and they told us they didn't tell us what what they saw, but they said um, you can't leave until you call your midwife. I was like, okay. So That's we waited, fun. and we called our midwife, and she said um, everything's fine with your baby, but your cervix is starting to funnel, and it's only 33 weeks, so it's way too early. Mm-hmm. And what that means for those who don't know is that my cervix was in the very beginning processes of opening. And, um, that's obviously not a good thing when a baby's not ready to be born. So
1: then you're at risk for preterm labor.
0: Yes. Yes. And my sister actually, um, gave birth to my nephews at 19 weeks because of, I hate the term, but they call it cervix incompetency. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really real, um, fear for us that he was going to be born early. So from 33 to 37 weeks, we were very careful and we tried, um, for me to like really rest. And yeah, did they have you on full bed rest? No. My midwife said, honestly, that if your body's going to go into labor, it's going to go into labor. Mm -hmm. So she said bed rest would just make you crazy and it wouldn't actually prevent anything, but staying away from like like our job was very active so on the property that we worked on um we were like clearing brush and um chopping wood and like cleaning the place that we hosted in and so she just, just like don't do anything beyond a normal person's amount of work and so I just kind of took it easy and went about normal life um Yeah. So we were waiting. We were on watch for Jack from 33 weeks. And that plays into our story because Jack was not born until he was forced to come at 42 weeks.
1: Oh, (laughs) he wanted to stay cozy. He did. He's like, if you're
0: not going to let me come and I want to, then I'm just going to wait until 42 weeks. So um, when I hit 39 weeks, I started having some contractions and we were like, okay, this is it. We better go because we have a long drive over to the birth center and we don't want to have a car baby so we um packed up our stuff and we headed over and my mom lives in Oregon she drove down and met us near in the city where the birth center is we got an Airbnb and we figured it'd be any day and then we lived in Sonora for three weeks oh no For <laughs> him, so um Throughout anyway. that time, we we did all the things. We, I had my membrane swept. Um, our midwives are really pro like letting your body wait. So they didn't end up sweeping my mem- what
1: membranes. What are the laws in, in California? How far over can you go in California with a midwife? Just 42. Just 42. That's so, the same in Texas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there was kind of that time
1: crunch. It um, does make it difficult. It does. Because we're trying it so is... hard to let the body do what it needs to do, and then when we're given mm-hmm. literally laws that we have to abide by, and tell your body, "Sorry, you have to abide by the law of the state." Mm-hmm. That's very difficult and and stressful. Yes,
0: and knowing what I know now, to um, my I have a longer cycle than most, like the normal twenty eight days arbitrary mm-hmm. 28 days and so because I have a longer cycle I carry my babies longer and so with my second pregnancy I had a midwife um, same group of midwives but one specific one who is mostly managing my care and she said if if we get to 37 weeks and we want to shift it we'll just shift your due date so that you have more time because obviously your body goes to 42 weeks like that's mm-hmm. just but we don't want to shift it before 37 because we don't want in case there's an early. If we feel good about your, like, we're going to be monitoring you and we feel good about how you and your baby are doing. There's no reason for us not to deliver your baby. Like, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so um, we spent those three weeks doing lots of walking and we did acupuncture, um, ate all the spicy foods and all the things um i even end up ended up going on like a six mile hike which was not wise we went six miles whoa six miles at 41 and a half weeks because we were just trying to get the baby out and uh realized like we could have very well had a baby in the woods by ourselves because it was a
1: long trail yeah and you know we talk a lot of times about walking a baby out midwives and stuff but a lot of times what happens is we just wear ourselves out yes
0: and And I, had, exhausted.
1: And I had zero contractions that entire oh, oh man <laughs> and then you were probably sore and tired yes mm-hmm.
0: yes so um as it was coming to the last couple of days leading up to 42 weeks <clears throat> I was group B positive so um my midwife was hesitant about doing the membrane sweep until it, until it was getting close to necessary. Mm -hmm. And so she finally agreed to do a membrane sweep when we only had about three days left, but she wanted me to do cleanse every four hours after getting my membrane swept. Um, So we had to do like a vaginal wash every four hours, which Mm -hmm. was not fun, pretty degrading, but just like doing, doing what we thought we had to do at that time, and um, on I was uh, forty two weeks so was on Friday, and on Thursday she said, "If you haven't had contractions by Thursday morning, you can try the midwife's cocktail, mm. which is castor oil, uh, apricot something juice, mm-hmm. and something else." Oh, yeah, it was like an actual root beer. A root beer? Yeah. So I think hmm. normally that's not what people use to mix it with. But no, it's it was not. We, we ended up doing, I think we ended up just doing castor oil and root beer because it was like a healthier version of
1: root beer. Well, I've never heard of this before. Hmm.
0: It was so much... More pleasant to drink than just a straight <laughs> castor oil.
1: Oh, straight castor oil is awful. No, oh, it's so bad. You Can gotta you mix it to with there. something.
0: Yes. So, um, yeah, we tried that, and we stayed close to home, and I had zero contractions. So, like, barely even stomach cramps. Mm. So, we um consulted with the hospital they thought that my fluid levels might be low, but everything was fine with me and my baby. So they, um, at 42 weeks, my midwife's hands were tied and we had to go to the hospital. And I remember eating my breakfast that morning, sort of eating my breakfast, not really, and just feeling so defeated. Like I did all these things and I did all this research and I tried so hard to have my baby be born in an environment that I felt like was safe and calm. And I still have to go and like be part of a system that I disagree with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so um, I should mention we had gone to the hospital during our three weeks stay there because I woke up one morning with like pretty intense pain in my left side. And that's a sign. Is it a preeclampsia or
1: what was that? Well, um, no, not generally uh, upper quadrant pain. Yes. But usually it's more on the right, not the left. Um, Maybe it was right. what else did you have symptoms besides the lower fluid? Um, just, yeah, it was just the lower That's fluid it. and then something in, it, it must've been my
0: right. It was one of the sides and it was sure. Uh, like right into my ribs.
1: Yes. And then I had kind of like a headache. Yes. And so and that can definitely be a sign of
0: preeclampsia. So, um, we called my midwife, and she was like, "Just go in, get checked out, and um, just have them rule out anything." And so we went to the hospital like one am, and we stayed at the hospital with like they checked us into triage and left us alone to sort of sleep. And we didn't see anyone, any doctors or anything until like nine am. And she came in for five minutes and said, your tests are normal, go home. And good. then yeah, so it was a good thing, but it was also kind of like a this is hospital model of care. Yep. Like, they barely look
1: at you and just look at whatever test they ran and be like, okay, bye. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was such a stark contrast
0: from the care that we had received from our midwives over the past few weeks. Um, where they were just like, How are you doing? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how's your heart? How's your brain? Um, how's your husband? How's your mom? You know, like they saw us as a whole unit, a team trying to get our baby into the world. And they just really like loved us and cared about us. And so it just really confirmed to us like we do not want to be at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't want to be at the hospital. So um, yeah, so we we were disappointed and nervous. And so we went in and fortunately the first nurse we got had actually had all four of her babies at home with our midwife so she um that's awesome yes we were we were relieved for that I think that was just kind of this little sign like it's gonna be okay like you're not surrounded by people who just want to yank your baby out via c-section like there's people who understand and um want like the natural processes of labor for you so that was good um i was already at four centimeters so i didn't have far to go but they started pitocin fairly low and within like 10 minutes my water broke and i started having contractions back to back like super intense wow and i couldn't breathe and i was like really overwhelmed and so they came in and they turned it down and um, was able to like breathe between them and cope. And I asked to get into the tub because um, they have a. They had one? That's awesome. They don't have like a birth tub because they don't allow any kind of right. water birth in the hospital, but they had like the the awful, like tiny shower tubs. Mm.
1: It's
0: so, better than nothing. So, but Yes, exactly. My thought. <laughs> it's better than nothing. I just need to get in and get some relief because I have um, low blood pressure and I I have scoliosis. And so it would have been really difficult for me to have any kind of spinal Mm -hmm. block or epidural. So that was really never an option in my mind. And I didn't think for me, um, unless it was very severe, I never wanted to put IV drugs into my body while I was in labor because I didn't want... (laughs) Um, to have that cross over to my baby, and so yeah. the pain method or the pain relief options for me were the tub and they had um gas and air. so I went and labored in the tub. Fortunately, they like mostly left me alone. They gave me like a a monitor, a portable monitor that was Good. waterproof Good, awesome, yeah, I was really grateful and they mostly just left me alone and i just had like one person in in the bathroom with me and every time i had a contraction i would lean forward and they they would push on my back and i would like make my face as relaxed as possible i kept touching my the spot between my eyebrows and like mm-hmm. telling myself don't scrunch right here don't do it and so um that helped me to like cope with each one but i had back labor the whole time mm-hmm. And Pitocin contractions, I can now confidently say, after having a uh, labor without Pitocin, that Pitocin is the worst. Mm-hmm. It's so strong and just like like a freight train
1: running through you. And and a lot so- of times, moms who are induced with Pitocin, and the second time around, they actually are really into labor before they realize it because they're expecting the contractions <laughs> to be as bad as those Pitocin contractions
0: yes yes for sure because they oh they're awful Mm -hmm. so my heart goes out to any mamas who have had to have pitocin without any pain medication because i feel you
1: (laughs) yeah so
0: yeah um Jack's labor was a total of like from my when my water broke till when he was born it was about 12 hours and uh for most of that i was left pretty undisturbed i remember i'm very like compassionate, empathy-driven person. And so if I heard anyone speaking in the other room, like in the actual hospital room, I would have to tell them like, can everyone just stop talking? Mm -hmm. Because I was so concerned about what was going on out there and like whether they were okay and whether they were talking about me and like saying something or wondering like what's going on with me, that I just, in order to focus, I had to have everyone be silent within 20 feet of me good I'm glad you told them that yes that helped me a lot to be able to focus um and I remember feeling so like rude about it but it afterwards they're like you weren't you were so calm and kind like I don't know it's just funny when you're in labor, you feel like you're way worse than you are. It's true. It's so
1: true, and people are always apologizing afterwards. Can't believe I said that. We're like, you said what? <laughs> like <laughs> to us, it didn't really. We just, you know, bypassed it. But for you, it felt very intense. So it's yeah. it's a little different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, I started. I was in the tub, and I started to feel a little bit pushy. I could feel some pressure. And my midwife, normally she doesn't stay for hospital births because she has a really good relationship with the hospital and she trusts the, she trusted the doctor that was on call for me. So normally like in that contract you sign with the midwives, they, they don't stay for a transfer. Um, okay. But for me, I'm not sure why she ended up staying for my whole birth. And I was really grateful to have her there. Mm-hmm. Um she, she was in the bathroom when I said, like, I'm starting to feel some pressure. And she just looked at me with this like knowing eye and she's like, Well, just just stay where you are and we'll see what happens. It might take a while. And so I just stayed. And I don't know if it was because Jack was low in my pelvis, and so they're having trouble getting his heart heart re- rate rate on the monitor or if the nurses heard my sounds changed a little bit but they were in there so fast and they were like okay it's time for you to get out you need to get over to the bed and I was like can I just stay here please like I'm in the middle of back-to-back contractions cool. right in the middle of transition and they were like no you need to move now we can't hear your baby and so the walk from the tub to the bed was like the longest walk I've ever mm-hmm. experienced I bet that was when I was like, I was coping okay before, but now I need something. And I decided to try the the gas. Mm -hmm. So they got me situated on the bed and they're still trying to like figure out his heart rate. And um they gave me the gas and the first breath was fine. I could feel it like kind of take the edge off. But then the second try I um passed out oh no. like I didn't breathe correctly or something and so where my contractions had been like fairly manageable like I had to use all my focus and I had to breathe and be very intentional mm-hmm. um I passed out and woke up in the middle of a contraction and I lost all control oh no so then it was just like searing pain through my body and I couldn't calm down. And the nurse was um knowledgeable but not calm. Like that's not a word I would use to describe her whatsoever. And so she was kind of yelling at me like, you need to turn this way and you need to move this way and you need to like I need to get a monitor on your finger and I need you to um I need to reach your belly so I can try and get his heartbeat. And she's just like freaking out and mm-hmm. As I'm trying to maintain control and like trying to stay calm and I started to feel nauseous. And so that's like another, you know, just like instinct takes over and you're trying to figure out where to throw up. Yep. And so um, they're trying to get me to have the gas and air again because they want me to have oxygen, but they have to turn the Pitocin off if they administer oxygen to me without me doing it. And I was, I don't want any part of that. I do not want to pass out again. I'm already having trouble. I'm just like maintaining any kind of control right now. So they finally turned the Pitocin off and gave me oxygen. And I, I was able to like breathe and settle and they, they got his heartbeat just fine. Um, And then it was time to push. And so I didn't want to push on my back but at that point I was so like flustered and exhausted that I was like do whatever yeah I don't care and so I tried pushing on my side for a little while and then they eventually like coaxed me into pushing on my back in the typical legs up position and I was pretty done at that point so it only took me about 30 minutes to push him out because I was like I just want to be done with this whole process
1: that's awesome for a first-time mom Yeah, I think
0: I was very determined. (laughs) It sounds like it. Like, okay, now you told me where to push and I am getting this baby out. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that meant that I tore Mm -hmm. because of the positioning and he was asynclitic. So when he came out, they put him on my chest, which I I don't have any memory of them putting him on my chest, Hmm. which... That, that moment, I felt like after watching a ton of birth videos and listening to a ton of birth stories, that was the moment I was waiting for because I knew that birth was going to be hard. I knew there was going to be a lot of work. And I kept feeling like that moment when your baby's finally out and they're on your chest and you see what you worked for. That's the moment when you're like, okay, I'm a mom and I missed it oh I remember just like chaos. There was just chaos after he was born. And they, I remember hearing them say, like, okay, the cord stopped done or stopped pulsing because I had wanted delayed cord clamping. Mm-hmm. And it would only been like a few seconds. And I was like, oh, whatever. Like, I can't even, I can't even fight for my baby right now because I'm too exhausted. And so they cut the cord and then, like, it felt like, 20 people rushed into the room and they took him away to a warmer and they were trying to get him to breathe. And I started bleeding. And so the OB was um, massaging, doing the fundal massage, which was awful. And he just kept saying like alarming things like, this is way more blood than I'm comfortable with. Um, We need to do this. We need to do this. And it just felt like the chaos continued. So I ended up having to do. Uh, he asked. He asked me, which was good. Can I do another shot of Pitocin? And I looked at my midwife who was standing next to me, and she said, "That's what I would do at the birth center." And I said, "Okay, yeah." And so he did a shot of Pitocin, and then they did. Um, I'm assuming it was Cervidil, something. And she said, "That's the next thing I would do because you're still bleeding." And So I said, okay, you can do that. And then they were going to do one more thing if I hadn't stopped and it's, it slowed to where he was comfortable with not doing the last thing. And so I got stitched up and, um, they finally brought Jack back to me. It had only been, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, but that's a long time though. it, It felt like a long time and I felt like a shell of a person just Mm -hmm. like dead I was like I'm just glad that's over I don't know whose baby this is but I think he's cute Mm -hmm. and I want to show you just taken care of but he's not my baby and I was so tired and so um it was already it was like midnight so uh, my in-laws came in they'd been waiting in the waiting room and they came and looked at him and then everyone kind of cleared out and We all went to sleep. And for the next day, I just kept looking at him and thinking like, I know that's my baby. But I think the back of my brain, all the knowledge I had about birth and about what I wanted had been like kind of set aside. Like, this is what we have to do to survive.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And I couldn't get that that heart connection with my brain to come back
1: hmm.
0: like I couldn't force it back and so I just kept looking at him thinking like he's beautiful and I know he's mine but he doesn't feel like he's mine and there was like a disconnect and so finally at the end of the second day in the hospital I looked over and my husband was holding him and they were both asleep and it clicked hmm realized like I had to do this like very simple logic like okay my husband knows that's his baby and he loves that baby like I could see it in his eyes and that's my husband and so like logically that's my baby Mm -hmm. and I love that baby too I've known that baby for 10 months like that's that's Jack and then it like all fell into place, and my heart just like swelled, and I was like, "Oh, this is the moment! Um, like, usually, you get this when you they come out of your body and you start in
1: your chest. Mine just waited a few days. Like, I don't know. Okay. well, it's hard so, when you've had so much trauma happened with it. I mean, all the stress and the chaos and everything that was happening. I mean, like, you didn't even have a moment to even." we get to process that yeah. you had a baby and hold your baby. That's, that's awful. Yes. Yeah.
0: And when I worked through, um, so recently I met with Christy Sheffer of the perinatal trauma center at blue Columbine mm-hmm. and she's amazing. She, I heard her pod or her podcast episode on happy home birth podcast. And I it just kind of like resonated with me like maybe I do have trauma I didn't kind of resonate with that idea that I had trauma but um it just kind of I don't know like I I knew instinctively there were some things I needed to work through with his birth
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and so when I talked through the birth with her which if you have any trauma in your birth story I would highly recommend or even if you like you're wondering if you might have been traumatized. Like, even if your birth went perfectly, exactly the way you wanted it to, like, birth is huge. And it's, Mm -hmm. our so much of our brain, I think, is set aside. A thinking brain is set aside when we're in the birthing process. And so there are things that can happen to your body that don't, like, register as trauma in your brain, but they register as trauma in your
1: body. And so... And it'll come out later if if you don't work through it now. Because birth, yes. our birth stories stay with us the rest of our lives. They're, I mean, when you're 80 or 90 years old, you will still recollect your birth story and be able to mm-hmm. share with anybody. And um, it's just, it's that important and it's that imprinted in our brain. So when we have trauma happen... Then the trauma stays stuck with that, too. And if we're not able to work through it before then, then the whole rest of our life, we're going with that trauma stuck with that birth experience. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a lot. That's a lot to hold on to. And then our body remembers. Um, I've read um, Our Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but it is amazing how much our body remembers stuff that we don't even realize. And it will come out in times we least expect it, yeah. or just out of the blue. So to acknowledge that, I'm so glad that you did, and then you went and sought help to be able to work through this. I'll make sure that we we link um, in the show notes uh, to so anybody that uh, would like to see. Can you give the name again one more time? Yeah, yeah. So her name is Christy Sheffer, mm-hmm.
0: and she um, she works with Perinatal Trauma Center at blue columbine
1: okay we'll put a link in the show notes for anybody who who would like to reach out there
0: yeah and she her process is very um she's been thoroughly trained in working through she's she's been a midwife for i think like 12 years so she has that experience but then she's also been through extensive training in processing trauma and so like for some people the trauma is so bad that they can't even get through the story without breaking down. Yep. And so she, she does four sessions and the first two sessions, you don't even share your story yet. You just work on like regulation exercises and understanding how to like get to the place where you can even share what happened. So, um, she just helps you like recognize, okay, I'm feeling really anxious right now. And I don't I'm not even talking about something that makes me anxious, but my body knows. And so she teaches you how to like calm your body down and teach it that it's in a safe spot because um, even if you're not in danger, like if you're thinking about something that felt like danger, your body is like, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to run? Are we going to freeze? And mm-hmm. so I just thought that was really um, illuminating and helpful. And then she gave lots of good insight after I was able to share my story with her so um, one of the things that really stuck out with what she saw in my story was that for the three weeks leading up to Jack's birth I was in survival mode yeah and I was being watched
1: by everyone yeah at any moment
0: yeah and that my husband is amazing he's such a gentle sweet supportive man And my mom is amazing. She's very supportive. And she was just like working her tail off the whole time to love me and make sure that I felt like I wasn't being watched. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But when it's in your body and you're the one that feels like you have to perform while you're waiting for your baby to be born. And I kept thinking like, my body is broken. It won't do what it's supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to go into labor and have this baby, but um. It just put me in this very lonely place for this whole that whole time of waiting. And so she just recognized for me, like, first of all, you were in survival mode for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And you got to the birth that you expected to be calm and it wasn't. So you continued your survival mode all the way through to after it was born and really until you went home. Mm-hmm. And then also like you couldn't trust your body to do you didn't feel like you could trust your body to do what it was naturally supposed to do. And there were a lot of factors outside your control. And so instead of taking like ownership, like, yeah, your body failed. She said, how about we just like, you don't need to take ownership for the fact that you had to go to the hospital. Like those were all just things that happened. They were flukes and it wasn't for lack of preparation. It wasn't because you did anything wrong. And so we can look at that experience and just say, I survived that. Like I came out alive and I chose to be a mom and to connect with my baby and move forward with life. And that is something that you can own. And I felt like that was the answer I was looking for to like, take my power back. Cause I can't go back and changed my story
1: yeah so much was out of your control
0: yeah and again like it wasn't my fault no it wasn't anyone's fault it's just the way it happened but something I can own that I did super well (laughs) is that I survived it and um and even though like I hate the term healthy mama healthy baby you know
1: yeah me too
0: yeah I I took my experience and moved forward yes. I didn't get stuck on it and then I chose three and a half years later to go back into that kind of dark place and re-sift through it to give myself another layer of healing and so um yeah I just hope that's encouraging to other
1: Yeah, because now you're sharing that too. Not just that you know you were able to work through it and you were able to um come out on the other side, didn't stay stuck in it. And not only was that super hard for you to do and to get past that, but now you're sharing that with other women too. So anybody who feels the same way, like, hey, there's a way for you to to be able to work past that and heal from that. Yeah, and honestly, like.
0: I didn't share my birth story. I didn't really like post about it online. I didn't talk with people about it for a long time because it was it was still so near. Mm-hmm. Um, and so working through my story with Christy brought me to a place where I felt confident to be able to share. Um, so that was, yeah, an immensely helpful tool.
1: Thank you for sharing that tool with us. We'll definitely... Mm-hmm. Put it out there for any of our listeners to be able to mm-hmm. seek some help there.
0: Um, understandably struggled a lot with my postpartum with Jack because of the, like even after connecting with him and like understanding, kind of healing that rift. Um, just like the level of stress of newborn life and I had a colicky baby and he didn't love to sleep and so sleep deprivation is real Mm y'all so any moms out there I mean sleep deprivation is so hard (laughs) so um entering motherhood the way I did I didn't have a lot of confidence anymore and so um I kept questioning myself, like, am I doing the right thing? Is this right? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if my body knows how to feed him. I don't know if I have the right instincts. And so um, I feel like the way you're, the way you enter into motherhood with birth sets you up in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, for, I wouldn't say failure because like, that's a really strong word, um, but just sets you up for struggle. I think. And, and depending so, on how
1: it goes, because if you come away from it feeling empowered mm-hmm. and feeling like, I did, my body did what it needed to do and I prepared well, and this is how things went. Then you're going to go into motherhood and to the postpartum feeling that way. Like, I'm confident. I know what I'm doing. You know, I have the intuition that I need to for this baby. And yeah. that, it's just a completely different mindset. But when you come in like you, And it was such a struggle and you felt like you were your body failed and wasn't working the way it was supposed to. And then there was so much stress and so much trauma around him entering into it and you were just exhausted and disconnected for that time period. Then when you enter in motherhood, then you are, are starting way back. From where you were, and you immediately have these negative feelings towards it. Like maybe my my intuition isn't correct because my body didn't work right. So maybe my brain's not working right now for how I need to care for this baby, mm-hmm. or maybe all these things that I read is how I'm supposed to do this isn't right. So maybe, you know, because you listened to all the happy home birth stories and you listened, you know, to all of that stuff and read all the books, but yet that's not how things went for you at all. Mm-hmm. So can you even trust? Any of the things that you're reading or the people you usually go to about stuff. So there's a lot of um, just feeling like you you don't know and you not necessarily failed. Although a lot of times there's that feeling too that you're a failure. You failed birth, and so then you you're failing as a parent immediately. Mm-hmm. Even though we know that's not true at all. Yeah. You survived, and you're a survivor of that. That way you can thrive as a mother. But it, that mind shift that 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 is difficult to get to because you're kind of stuck. And then, like you said, add a sleep deprivation to it, mm-hmm. add a colicky baby to that. And boy, those are going to be some really hard um times where you're probably going to have some deep depression and go down some deep holes and really need to rally to have people around you to help bring you up and recognize what's going on and help you. So did your husband help you with with that? Did your midwives get to help you with that? Yeah. So, I mean,
0: we, we went back to the, um, we went back home afterward and so we were two hours away so we didn't get the same kind of newborn postpartum care that we would have from our midwife had we been closer um so we got to see them about a week out and about two weeks out and I mean we filled out the questionnaire like do you have postpartum depression do you have these signs do you want to hurt your baby and like all these things and I was like I mean no but I don't feel right. Like I don't feel normal. And they're like, well, your score's right. So it's okay. Oh, You're good. I'm sorry. And so I don't know. I felt like my husband was really supportive, but very lost. Like he didn't really know how to help me. Mm-hmm. And he's he didn't
1: never feel, been through this before either.
0: No, he's a brand new parent. And he actually worked with Christy as well. He did his own good. session. Good. And so he realized like, he was kind of traumatized by the birth too because he's watching yes. me go through it for sure I' like do I help my baby who's struggling or do
1: I help my wife like what do I do and so and then um, that postpartum questionnaire I just want to pause for a moment about that. I was literally talking about this in a in a class of mine I'm in my third year as a midwifery student and this was a, a a discussion yesterday about about the questionnaire like we're supposed to give this questionnaire out you know but and the doctor's offices usually do that once or twice in the postpartum too we talked about how midwives a, a lot of times we have to listen more to our intuition and instead of the questionnaire because most moms nobody's gonna put oh yes i want to hurt my baby But if you're having a conversation with a mom and you listen to what she's saying, you can hear in her voice that, hey, I'm not right, like you said. Okay, maybe I'm filling this questionnaire out right, but I can tell you right right away that I don't. Feel right. I feel like there is a disconnect or I feel like I am heading down in this depression and I don't know what to do about it. And I do need some help. But yet on paper, look, I am fine. But that's not the reality. And we need to look just like in the hospital we talked about. You can't just look at the monitor, or the test and then say, OK, you're fine. Go home, you know the same thing with the the postpartum screening that we're quote unquote supposed to you know fill out or whatever that it's it you can't just go off of that you can't just give that to a mom and say here fill this out look at it okay you answered everything right go on home you're fine that's Mm -hmm. that's not how it works that's not the type of care that's going to help anybody or even be able to find somebody who's struggling that we need to help because when you don't help them and then they go down further and further and then it's just going to get worse for them and worse for the baby and then you end up in a scary situation yeah yeah absolutely and I
0: I'm surprised that the that they responded that way because of the care that I received before I'm not really sure what the
1: yeah
0: combination was for that but um Yeah, we can
1: look happy and we can look like we're good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, we get into an in-depth conversation and we really try to get then we can find out more. But I mean, if you've heard my story, I mean, I went months without my husband or my midwife, my mom, anybody knowing I was in excruciating pain. Yeah, I looked fine. I looked good. You know what I mean? So I hit it Mm -hmm. well. Um, and the same thing that it's easy to do with depression like that to, to mask and say all the right things and respond in the right way, even though mentally you are, you are not there. Yeah. Yeah. And I I started
0: to get scared. I started to be afraid of like what was going to happen. And, um, I really started to feel like I was a monster and this is like the scary part of my story. That I forced myself to share with friends and share with people that, like, I've told myself this is not something that's going to stay in the dark because I know I'm not a monster. And I know that other moms feel this way in the darkness, too. And so um, there'd be times when I thought I was completely calm. And then all of a sudden I'd be screaming, like, be quiet. I was like, what just happened? Who just yelled? And I was like, wait a minute, that was me. And just the level of stress, like you're saying with the sleep deprivation and then the disassociation and all the hormones that you're being shifted through, like, and then I think shame just comes in so strong and you mm-hmm. feel like you can't share it because you're like, what? I kept saying, saying, like, what if someone wants to take my baby away because I'm not safe? Or like, maybe someone should take my baby away because I'm not safe. Maybe I'm not fit to, to be a mother. Maybe I just don't have that part of me. And so I kept telling my husband, like, maybe someone should take our baby away. or maybe you should go. Maybe I should just leave because you're obviously a really amazing dad. And I just can't get the hang of this. And um, it took probably, I don't know, nine months to a year for me to really feel like that part of me settled. I just kept listening to those lies over and over and my husband kept telling me like you're not a monster. You are a gentle mother like you. You love your son. And 90% of the time it was completely fine, but that 10% of the time scared me so bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so um I don't really know I don't know if we just resolved because he started sleeping. <laughs> Cuz that's huge. Yes. It seems so simple, but it's that really helped. Um, But then also something really small that like really got me through that time was while we were gone for those three weeks, we had some friends staying at our house, watching our dog and they had put little sticky notes up around our house and I still have some of them, but one of them was in my bathroom and I think it said like, this is hard, but you are tough and you can do this. And there were others around the house that like, you're an amazing mom and things like that. Just really simple things. And I remember throughout that time, like I would walk through my house and I would see those at the exact moment that I needed to hear that one thing. And I'd be like, okay, that's true. That's true. Like what I'm believing about myself is not true. Those are lies. And that, that sticky note on my wall, that is true about me. And so having an outside perspective, someone telling you um, what is true about you. So for my second baby, I asked, I reached out to moms in my circle and said, can you write me sticky notes? Just like simple one line things that you know about me as a mother and as a wife. And I'm just going to put them up all over my house. And I did. And my second postpartum was better for a lot of reasons. But that was one of the things that was like life giving throughout. Um, mm. uh, my daughter is one and a half and I still have most of the sticky notes up because they I just love it. And don't write them yourself. If you're going to do it, if you write them yourself, you're not going to believe yourself. <laughs> but if someone else writes them for you, you're like, okay, they don't have to like flatter me. They know who I am and it has to be people that you like are close with. So then when you see their handwriting, you're like, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. So, um, well, yeah, that was huge for me. Yeah, well, I mean, well, we're to- we're told in scripture all the time, right? To counter mm-hmm. the lies with the truth. Cast lies, speak the truth boldly, and yes. when you're sometimes when you're in that place where you're so down, like you've got to physically see them like you can't just speak them in your head like you've got to see them and then you can say them out loud and like Mm -hmm. I've told this to my teenage daughters I was like you tell that lie to go away and you say out loud the truth (laughs) like yeah and you say it over and over as many times as you need to say it so you Mm -hmm. believe it and yes sounds like exactly what you were doing and I love it
0: yeah and with my daughter's postpartum I I started writing to myself and using the notes and then also writing to myself anytime I felt that lie creep in, like you're a monster you're a scary mom I kept like countering it. I was like no I don't know if I fully believe this at this moment but I am a gentle mother who nurtures and loves my children and the difference of my thought life with this baby and between her and my son and even just like in general toward both of my kids, I'm like, Oh, no, that's my identity. Like, sure. I yell at my kids. Like I am not perfect. unflawed mom, you know, but I come back to like, we both make mistakes and then mm-hmm. I apologize to them and we restore. And I am a gentle mother who sometimes is overstimulated, but just keep coming back. To those foundations of truth about yourself, especially when you're in the midst of postpartum and all of the just it's like layers of overwhelm and stress. You have to have those anchors for your soul. So um, in the midst of the postpartum, that was crazy. We added extra stress by moving. Oh, because, that um, yes. So. If you can help it, I would not move like for six months after your baby's born. But we we were feeling like the the ministry that we were working with um, was incredible, but it just wasn't the right spot for us anymore. And I see so clearly God's hand in each step of the journey to where we are now. But um, while we were living in Sonora, we met a nurse at the birth center and she um also worked at a camp in the area and she had been hired with her husband as the director. So they were like in charge of programming and kind of overseeing the camp and they needed on-site managers. And so we were like, well, they asked us before our son was born, like, would you consider this job? And we were like, uh, we're kind of in the middle of something right now. (laughs) We're trying to have our baby. Like, we don't want any other thought. Like, We can't even contain that thought right now entertain that thought so um after jack was born they reached out to us again and said like hey we really would like you to consider this job we think we would be a good fit and as we're talking to each other privately we're like we're not qualified for that job we've only been in ministry like two years Mm
1: -hmm. we
0: have never managed a camp like we we're brand new parents we are not qualified. And we're not, I don't think we'd like that job. Like that seems like way out of our wheelhouse. And so we prayed about it and we felt like we were supposed to at least go to the interview with the board. And so when our son was 12 days old, we got in our car and drove two hours again. Oh my. We came to the camp and we had a meeting with the, an interview with the board and we were honest. We said, um, we're really flattered by this Interview, but we don't think we're qualified and we don't think that we would enjoy this job. We're not really sure. We're just here out of obedience because we prayed about it and felt like God told us to come. And we gave them our resumes, which had no qualifications. And within three days, they called us and said, Hey, we unanimously decided to hire you. I love it. And we were like, Wait, did you call the wrong people? Cause we're not, remember how we said we weren't qualified and they're like, yeah, we know, no, we meant to call you and we would like to offer you the job. Can you start in two weeks? Wow. And so again, we approached God and said, what do you want us to do? Like, we don't think this is the right fit for us, but what do you want? And he was like, I want you to move forward with this job. I want you to move and I want you to go do it. And so. We packed up our house, we packed up our one month old and we moved to a construction project of a house on the camp in the middle of summer, which is the busiest season for summer or for camp. So we started managing in the middle of summer and it was chaos. It added to the stress that was already there for caring for a newborn with postpartum anxiety and depression. And um, it was nuts. It sounds and like then it. a few months Yes. So, um uh once the summer ended, we kind of got a break and camp slowed down and we were we all the summer staff left and so we just got a moment to be by ourselves with our son and with our job. And we realized like this job is it fits so many of our giftings and callings and it's the perfect spot for us. And so To just see the way that God's hand was on like moving to California and making one plan and then having a baby that was different than our plan and then going to Sonora for our care and then not being able to just like have our baby and go home, staying for three weeks and getting to know that nurse and getting to know the area and then having our baby in the hospital and having to come back and just like all the things that we didn't anticipate led us to this camp Hmm. and three and a half years later we're so grateful because this spot is just like we can't imagine doing anything else now
1: oh that's amazing
0: yeah so um yeah it's just cool to see god's provision so when when jack was about 14 months we decided that we Um, wanted to try for another baby and things had kind of settled with him and I felt like I was back to being my normal self so I was ready to take on the challenge of another pregnancy and baby and um, we got pregnant within a few months and so our kids are almost exactly two years apart and My pregnancies are rough. I'm really tired and kind of grouchy and very sick in the beginning.
1: Uh All the typical
0: stuff. Um, But we were planning. We decided to plan for a home birth because we had a space for that now. Mm -hmm. And um, we just like we live at the end of a really long gravel road. And I didn't want to have to get into a car in the middle
1: of labor. So. um, So there's midwives in that area.
0: Yes. So one of the midwives that works at the birth center is also a home birth midwife and she works with another home birth midwife in the area. Awesome. Yeah. And she, her personality, like I didn't connect with her as much as I did with the other who was at the hospital with me. Um, But as I got to know her, like I felt really comfortable with her and she's just a lot more like matter of fact, not so much lovey-dovey and nurturing. So um, I think that's kind of what I needed anyway at this time but yeah so we prepared for Rosie's birth um and everything in the pregnancy went fine she didn't try and come early we planned for 42 weeks cuz we figured that was going to happen again good idea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which i think i would have if we hadn't started to have preterm labor signs with jack cuz everyone says like just plan to go past your due date. So, right. um, yeah, so we plan to go past and by the time she was due, um, we were just about to start our summer season with camp and we were going to have a work weekend and then it was going to be every single day for two months straight was going to be hosting camps. So um, we we were kind of worried about the work weekend and how available Jameson was going to be and like, whether we needed to be in charge
1: yeah. of
0: that weekend. And so we kind of just put other people in charge of all the different things and let it go. And um, she decided to come right on the work weekend, right in the middle of everything, which is <laughs> so her personality. Now that we're getting to know her more, as she grows, but I started to have contractions in the middle of the night at about 1 a.m. And they were really mild and gentle. Um, She was like in a good position at the beginning, we thought. By about 7 a.m., I tried to rest in the morning. And then by about 7 a.m., they started coming more regularly, like five minutes apart. And all throughout my pregnancy with her, our midwife had said, I think this might be a fast sleeper. I just have this feeling that it might be fast. And so we're all on like alert, like this might be fast. Um, she said, so if you like start to have regular contractions, just send me a text and we'll see where you're at and see how we feel about me coming. And so at seven, uh, they were about five minutes apart. And so I just said like, should you come? I don't know. Like, she's like, well, what do you want? I was like, I don't know what I want. I just, I don't want to have a baby by myself. I'm not confident enough about that but um, she and our, our doula we decided to have a doula come and she was about an hour away our midwives were about 40 minutes away and uh, my friend who, who was training to be a midwife was going to come and she lived about two hours away so they all had a little bit of travel time so I thought well for we five minutes I'll give them some time to get here and we'll all just kind of hang out and so that's what we did we went for walks. um, And it seemed like the day was really calm, but things weren't progressing. Like it kind of stayed at five minutes and then I would get into the tub and that felt really good because I had back labor again. Um, And things would slow way down. So I would like change positions, I'd get on the bed, I'd sit on the toilet, like we'd move all around the house and everything was just kind of staying the same. And so by 6 p.m., my midwife was like, can I, can I check you? Would that be okay with you? I just want to kind of see what's going on. And so I agreed and she checked me and I was only at a six, which I try not to give a lot of, um, validity to the numbers. Cause I know they can change, but after it had been, oh, 12, 15, 16, 17 hours of labor or something like that. And I hadn't changed much and, um, discouraging. So- Yes. So that's when I went from like, I'm talking laughing between contractions and these are super gentle. And I think things are going well to like, God, my body doesn't know what's doing again. Oh, like, no, no. And so my, the brain game just like <laughs> went downhill and I started to panic and I was like, it's going to happen again. Like, I'm going to need help from the hospital. And so my mom and my midwife and my husband were all just like, you are doing this like your body is already doing it you're doing great like you don't need help your body is doing this it's just doing it in a different way and that's okay and so that like calmed me back down and we just kind of monitored me like the thing I love about midwives especially home birth midwives is that they're like these they're like supportive birth ninjas
1: (laughs) like i love it it's gonna be my new shirt birth ninja i love it i'm gonna
0: make one (laughs) yes please do um but they just like hang out they work in the background they they check your baby's heart heartbeat every once in a while like they don't touch you they don't bother you they just like want to support you and when something happens that they need to jump in and do something, they're there in a heartbeat. But until that point, they're just like letting you do your thing. And they trust you. They trust your body to do what it's supposed to do. And so um, I continued to labor. Um, The hardest place for me to be, but the most productive place for me to be was on the toilet. Mm -hmm. And so that like really helped to move down. And then by about 11 PM, Um, I still had not like, I had progressed more from doing lots of toilet contractions, but, um, there was still something kind of off. And so my midwife asked to check me again and she did. And baby's head was kind of like wiggling around. Like she couldn't get down into the birth canal. And so they didn't say it at the time, but they thought maybe she was asynclitic and maybe had like a nuchal hand. And so they said, "Um, I think she's having trouble coming down. Would it be okay if we broke your water? Because I think you're close. You're at a nine and a half or whatever. But she can't descend into the birth canal right now. And so I was like, this was the rudest I got at the, you know, going back to the beginning. You feel like you're so rude, but you're really not. I was like, I don't want you to break my water. And they kind of waited and let me decide and think it over. And I was like, okay, fine. You can break my water. <laughs> and oh, I felt like that was really so rude. Like, yes, go and do it. But it was nothing. So, um, yeah, they broke my water and the contractions got a lot harder. She was able to descend. I wanted to get back in the pool. But they encouraged me to go try some contractions like on hands and knees on the bed because it seemed like the pool kept slowing things down and mm-hmm. allowing her to kind of float and like be more buoyant. So um, we tried it on the bed and I was really struggling through contractions. I think that was definitely transition time. And then I wanted to pee because I couldn't pee in the pool. For some reason, my brain wouldn't let me pee in the pool.
1: <laughs> and so I went to the yeah it's so funny you're like it's fine just it's okay you're just in water it's okay it's sterile you're good and everybody's like I just can't do it
0: I can't but I wonder if it's because like people know you are
1: Mm, probably yeah
0: so um I wanted to like get my bladder out of the way so I I went to the bathroom and expected to just like pee and then go get back in the tub for relief and um things started to shift. Like as soon as I sat down, I could feel her kind of starting to move down. And my contractions were so intense, like way in my back and I could feel like grinding, you know? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so I remember thinking like I did with my son, like, okay, I just want this to be over. I'm just going to like push this baby out. And so, everyone else is like my midwife is on the floor of my tiny bathroom my husband is sitting in like on the edge of our shower right across from me and all of a sudden i'm like i feel her head and they were like wait what cuz <laughs> they thought i still had a lot longer to go but i was like okay she's coming like now and um she she was her head was almost out my midwife was like can you stand up so I can help you and I remember thinking like that thought like how is that possible how do you stand up while you're having baby (laughs) yes it's true (laughs) my legs aren't working (laughs) like I'm pushing a human out and so I just kind of did this like awkward I put my leg up to the side and gave space so that she wouldn't fall into the toilet there you go
1: a lot of times if you can at least (laughs) scoot forward
0: yes And so she helped me catch her and put her on my chest. And I was thinking like, okay, this is the moment I get to hold my baby first moments and then no one's going to take her from me. And here she is. And then I was in like excruciating pain and I couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out why. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll subside in a few minutes, but like, I'm the baby's out. Like, what would be, what would be hurting right now? And so we thought maybe it'd just take a minute to calm down. Maybe I tore. And so they moved me to the bed and um, I was holding her and I was trying to look at her and talk to her, but I was still so distracted by pain. And the midwives gave me like a little bit of time. They went to go clean up and they said, if we're going to stitch something, we want to give you a minute to like have everything just settle. We want to give you a second to just breathe and half space, and then we'll come back in and things would be a little less swollen so we can just kind of assess if we need to stitch anything. Had you delivered the placenta at this point? Uh, Yes, I guess I did some point in there. It wasn't very long after. Okay. I guess I was just distracted by
1: all the things.
0: almost my chosen? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, after I did, delivered the placenta, they left her attached to it until it was done pulsing, and then they cut the cord and Um, they went to go clean up Mm -hmm. and I was still like violently shaking Mm -hmm. which I know is pretty normal from the adrenaline and stuff but um, I told Jameson my husband like can you just ask them to at least like come give me the numbing shot because something is hurting so bad down there and so he went to go get them maybe 45 minutes after she was born And they came back in and immediately their eyes were huge. And they were like, I've never seen anything like that, which is not what you want to hear right after. (laughs) this. So when I was pushing, somehow the way that she was positioned gave me a huge hematoma. Oh, no. So it was like they had never experienced in they both between the two midwives they have a ton of years of experience they had never dealt with hematoma ever i looked it up later and it was like one in 1500 births yeah another crazy fluke and so they consulted with the hospital um they were just trying to kind of figure out what if we leave it alone or if it, it wasn't really growing it was staying the same but they wanted me to get into the shower so they could kind of clean off the blood clots and just kind of figure out where the cuts were and where it might have been coming from. Mm-hmm. And so I I always joke that, like, the difference between Minba free care and hospital model care is that your midwife will help you, like, I couldn't even stand and I couldn't reach anything down there. And so I'm, like, laying on my shower floor and they are literally cleaning blood clots off of my butt. Yep. Like, that. That's a midwife. Yep. All the time. <laughs> like, yes. Like the love and just like the nurturing and the making it like not weird. We're laughing through it. Like, anyway, they just, just love them so much. So um, as they were doing that, they realized that there was still a bleed and it started bleeding profusely. And so they moved me back to the bed and I started um, bleeding from somewhere. And so they're trying to figure out where it's coming from. It wasn't really coming from the hematomas. So they're, like, trying to figure it out. They tried to... Uh, what's the term when you, like, use a clamp?
1: What kind of clamp? Uh, they, like, were trying to clamp the blood vessel. Something oh, so they could have got a hemostat on it if they found it. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: that's what they were trying to do. Okay. Um. So they're working on it, working on it, and they can't get it to stop. And it just keeps bleeding profusely and so they finally andrea my midwife she just looks at me with compassion in her eyes and she said hannah i'm really sorry but we're gonna have to transfer and in that moment when i should have been like full panic like i don't want to go to hospital i don't want to go there Mm -hmm. i felt every from like the top of my head to the bottom of my feet every muscle in my body just went calm And I felt completely at peace. I love it. And the only way that I can describe it, the whole way through my pregnancy, I was asking God, I just want to feel like nurtured and held. I want this to be calm and peaceful. And I want to feel that way. And after, when I was processing my birth with the midwives, I was like, I'm so frustrated because I didn't get that. And they were like, but didn't you say that, like, when we told you that we needed to transfer, you felt completely calm? That kind of sounds like being nurtured and held. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, that's the moment that it was so clear that he was just like, this is going to happen, but I'm with you. And from there, it was just like this series of unfortunate events. But I do not looking back on Jack's birth, which technically was textbook, healthy mama, healthy baby. Rosie's birth was not like healthy baby, but not healthy mama. It was pretty serious, but the empowerment I felt leading up to that moment of transfer, Mm -hmm. the care that I received, the encouragement I received gave me the strength to go through that whole transfer and not feel traumatized I love it and I can't stress to you enough like empowerment is life-changing mm.
1: it's yeah it's a scripture that came to mind throughout the time that you've been talking about this for a while and when you were talking about you know speaking truth instead of the lies and everything but Isaiah 40 came to my mind and uh uh, it says he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Mm-hmm. Oh. How he gave that to you
0: is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one that I had on my wall that I still have up for the, it was for the birth, but it's still there. It's, you are my refuge and strength. You are a very present help in times of trouble. I will not fear that the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Mm. So it's just like, even before, as I'm, I'm thinking about my birth and what I want to be looking at on my wall, like he knew, he knew yeah. that, all like the mountains were going to be moved into the heart of the sea during this birth. Again, like it was not going to be my control, but I, that he was going to give me the peace. And so um, we, we, she said, we're going to transfer and they called the paramedics. And as like the policy of the county is that whoever's closest comes first. So the fire truck came first. So they came and it's two very young firefighters and Mm -hmm. one older gentleman. And the two young firefighters, they come into my room like, I have zero clothes on. Uh My legs are spread wide toward the door. And my midwife has her hand inside of me trying to
1: stem the bleeding. I was going to say, she? I wondered if somebody was holding it trying to stop the bleeding.
0: Yes. And so part of the reason why she needed a call was because I had used, they had used every single piece of gauze that they had Mm. in both of their kids on trying to stop bleeding. So she's like, even if we wanted to like transfer in the car, I don't have any more gauze. Like we have to, we have to get gauze from them. So if nothing else, that's why we're having them come. And so um, they come in, they're standing in the doorway. Two of them have obviously never experienced any part of birth. And they are like so mortified. Oh. And then the man, I'm pretty sure he was a dad because he was like able to look me in the eye and talk to me. But they're just waiting. Like, there's no reason for them to be in there because they're not going to be the ones who transfer me. So they're like, did getting... the midwife just say, Give me your gauze. <laughs> yes. She's like, I need all your gauze. And get her an one. IV. <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh. So, um, yeah, so they're hanging out and then they're like, Okay, we're going to go wait outside. I'm like, That's not good. <laughs> Thank you for not staring at me anymore. (laughs) And um, finally, the paramedics arrive. And the one who's in charge comes in guns blazing. And she has an attitude. And I don't know if she had an attitude about home birth or about my midwife or what. But she is just guns blazing. And so she comes in and she starts asking all the questions. And my midwife starts to answer for me. And she looks at her and says, I asked her. we're all like wide-eyed like okay excuse you like what's the attitude for and so I like answered the questions and then um we started to like think about moving towards the ambulance and I said okay my baby gets to come with me right and she said no your baby can't come with you she's not attached anymore so she would be a liability if something happened and that like my heart started to sink like my Mm -hmm. babe and then I thought no this is okay this is what needs to happen and I went back to being peaceful and now looking back on it one of the things that Christy and I worked through in my trauma counseling is that I don't know how to be angry I'm not very good like that's an uh um in my family, there were some situations where anger was really scary, and so I would like shove anger down and push it aside. Like that's not an okay emotion, and so um, I don't have like a healthy relationship with anger. I I don't. Before I had kids, I was almost never angry, mm-hmm. and then learning now in the pressure cooker of motherhood, it's gonna come out, and if I don't learn how to have a healthy relationship with anger, it's gonna come out sideways. And so working with Christy through that, she said, when you think about your birth stories, it's okay for you to be angry about parts of it. And I had never thought of it that way. Like, yeah, some of this stuff did really stink. And some of it was at the hands of other people. Like mm-hmm. they did not they did not have the attitude that they should have. They did not have the care that they should have. They mm-hmm. didn't have the, There's All a
1: justifiable t- anger.
0: Yes. And so as I was thinking through my story, um, when we were talking about me preparing, I was thinking through that, the part when they said, you can't take your baby. And I felt angry. I was like, look at me. I'm feeling angry. (laughs) 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 A healthy amount of anger. Because really, they take babies with mamas all the time. And when they're hours old, like. That that baby baby should not be
1: leaving that mama no
0: and she should not have had to go in a car seat like so that when I play it over in my head the conversation goes differently and I say uh no my baby will stay with me and you will figure it out because you know how to figure it out you've done it before so anyway moment of advocacy advocacy afterward but in the moment (laughs) I'm grateful that I felt calm and so my friend had to do the terrifying drive with a brand new baby behind the ambulance um but yeah so they loaded me into the ambulance my doula who had stayed with me the whole birth and then she went to go sleep in her car for a few hours before she headed home she came out when I was being transferred to the ambulance she's like what happened when I left you were fine and so we filled her in and as we transferred, my midwife had to stand with her hand inside of me the whole time to try and stop the bleeding. They got an IV started and the um. The EMT who was in the back with us was the same one who came in with an attitude. And I just see like God spoke through me because I'm like coming off of a 24-hour birth. I don't have my baby. I have someone's hand on an incredibly painful hematoma. And I, in my own strength, I would have zero power to be kind to someone who was not being kind. But I was able to just like talk her down and talk her, talk about her kids, talk about her life. By the time we got to the hospital, she's laughing with us like super sweet. She went out of her way to like help us skip the triage in the uh, ER and get us straight to. The labor and delivery triage so just really cool to see how God just like used the calm he gave me to spread it to her and um yeah so that was neat. that's awesome <laughs> yeah and then we get up to the labor and delivery room I get swarmed with like seven nurses all trying to do something at once and all of them are silent like they. I could feel the tension in the room and they, you could tell that none of them were versed in home birth and that they had some opinions. And so they kept them to themselves, which is good, but you could like feel the tension in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just, the lack of like bedside compassion and like even just communication, like one of them was trying to get an IV in my right hand and she kept stabbing with stabbing without, me um without giving me warning uh. and so she'd stab and i would tense without thinking about it because i'm focused on the 10 other things that are going on with my body and so i tense and then she'd be like i have to try it again i'm like okay and then i get distracted and then she'd try again and i tense it took her i had so many bruises on my hand because she just didn't take the time to like say okay i'm gonna stab you now so finally she's like stop tensing your hand and i was like if you would give me a second of warning and let me know that you're about to do it, I would love to relax for you, but I can't do it if you just keep stabbing me. And she was like, fine. And so she gave me a second. She got it first try. And so just like, again, the difference, like my midwives needed to do things medically necessary for my body. And they still asked permission every time. Yeah. And these nurses are doing something. This is like an extra IV. It wasn't even like one they were trying to hook up. I already had an IV. They're just doing an, an additional saline block. So, and they're just, it's just such a different attitude. But um, the OB was really sweet. And she, my I midwife mean, said, thought that maybe she could repair the bleed under just like a numbing shot. Sure. Yeah. So that's what I was prepared for. We just go in and get numb to she stick me up in the room. But she took one look at me and was like, we're going to have to put you under general. Mm -hmm. And I had never had surgery before. So that was my very first one. And it was, again, one of those moments of like, "Ah!" and then no, we're calm. Like, this is a calm space. I am being nurtured and held like everything is calm. Everything's going to be okay. And I went back to being peaceful. And so my husband kept my hours old newborn in the room and I was wheeled away to surgery and, um, I had a reaction to anesthesia. So when I woke up, I couldn't wake up. I kept waking up and then falling back asleep and waking up and falling back asleep. So there's something with anesthesia that's not great for my body, but with the gas and air and with this, there's something funky Mm. with that. But, um, I heard the nurses in the recovery room just like chatting about lunch and their plans while I'm like waking up and asking for help and then falling back into unconscious. And I just remember thinking like, you guys are just chatting and I am dying. Like I can't wake up. And so they wheeled me back to my room and I finally got to... Like, really hold my daughter. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Got to nurse her. And um, another little resource tip. Afterbirth pains are way worse with the second one or third or fourth or for you, yep. the sixth. <laughs> yes, they <laughs> yeah. are. They are. I have the little tincture, mm-hmm. the after ease tincture, that was, like, my lifeblood. I had yes. it next to me or in my pocket for the first three days. Yep. And every time I'd nurse her, I would take some and that helps so much. So mamas, if you're going on your second labor, even with your first one, um, second or subsequent labors have after a because it helps so much.
1: Yep. I, I recommend it for sure. Yeah. So um, we got,
0: they like checked on me and the OB came in afterward after I had fully woken up and she said, so here's what happened in the surgery. Um, it was the hematoma that was bleeding. So we were able to repair that. You're going to have a long recovery and you lost a lot of blood. So we don't feel like you need a transfusion yet. but We're going to keep an eye on you. Uh, my hemoglobin was low enough that I was like right on the boundary of needing a blood transfusion. Mm-hmm. And she said, and just like a friendly piece of advice, if you want to have another home birth, which I don't recommend... I would suggest you find a different provider because yours was incompetent. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. And I looked at her and was like, Oh, so you you conferred with your charts and you like talked with her and made sure that you understood the situation? And she's like, Well, no. I said, Okay, well, maybe you want to do that to understand what happened before you make a judgment like that. And she's like, yeah, I could talk to her. And this is like a very sweet, very kind-hearted OB. She was really like a sweet person, but for her to say that, like she had a very strong opinion about my midwife. And so it actually ended up taking until my six-week appointment. Every time I saw that OB, I said, have you talked to my midwives? And she said, no, until the six-week appointment. She's like, I made a call and I talked to midwives and I understand the process of what they did and why it took them a while to decide to transfer. And she was confused because in in labor delivery, when you see a bleed, you stitch it immediately. You don't give mom time. Usually they have an epidural. You just stitch it right away after the birth. With midwives at home birth, they give time because mom is not numb and they want that bonding golden hour. And so they want the time. And usually they're not they don't present themselves later as an emergency. They're either an emergency right after the birth and they take care of it right away or they're fine and are fine to, to stitch an hour later. And so mine was just really unique. It was just a different situation. And they were trying to manage it until they realized that it was above their level of skill and gauze to manage. And then they asked for a transfer and it was the timeline was perfect of what they were supposed to do. And so once she finally conferred with them and realized that they had done their job perfectly and that they are incredibly skilled, yeah, competent, yes, um, medical professionals, mm-hmm. she agreed with me. And, well, good. Yeah, it just makes me so sad that they have this preconceived notion that we're being delivered of our babies from like
1: someone off the street. It's, yes, but maybe your one interaction with her and it changed her mind because she actually got to do a little more in-depth about it. I hope so. I hope that it gives
0: gives more light to them. It's just funny to me. Like, I have a cousin who is a resident OBGYN, and she is terrified of home birth. Yeah. And so I've tried talking to her like, have you experienced a home birth? Have you read anything about it? Do you Have you looked at statistics? Nothing. And she's like, no, I don't want to go anywhere near it. Because yeah. I see emergencies happen all the time.
1: I wish and... that they could go, they could go watch birth center birth and they could go watch a home birth. Like that mm-hmm. would be amazing. And I know many uh, people that have said, if like, there's a doctor that would want to come, I know that our client would say yes, because they would love for them to get to have that experience and then that go and maybe change their, you know, preconceived idea mm-hmm. about it. And yeah. there are a few, there are a few unicorns out there that really mm-hmm cherish midwives and that really do cherish you know autonomy and women being able to be in charge of their bodies and make the choices of where they want to birth there are some doctors out there but they're so far uh spread out and you know and and sometimes difficult to find that it just uh there's this I would say probably 95 percent of doctors in the United States believe that home birth is absolutely unsafe yeah. And it's
0: just crazy to me because they haven't, they don't look into it. Right. They don't research what they believe is so unsafe. And I think if they did, they would realize that they see less than 1% of transfers from home births. Yep. So the, the safe, um, well, I believe pretty much all of them are safe, but the ones that go perfectly
1: they won't hear anything about they won't and that's the thing because they don't they don't ever hear about those all they do see are the ones that need help yeah and
0: those are very rare yeah I just hope that I was nervous to tell my story for a little while after Rose's birth because I was worried that people would say oh see you tried for home birth and you had to go get medical help and then I realized like no no I was a fluke again, unfortunately. And my midwives did exactly what they were supposed to do up until the point where they realized they needed to outsource. And they did professionally. They made a beautiful transfer and I got the help that I needed. But up until that point, they believed like birth is a natural, normal process. And most of the time when it's left untouched,
1: it goes perfectly. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your Creator, so be who He created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, Shalom.